Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Mr. Jason Johnstone Yellen in the house with Single Cask Nation. Some of the rarest, most exquisite, beautiful whiskeys in the world were tasted. They were actually launching their new retail line for us here in the Whiskey Society. So I'm Jason Johnston Yellen, Single Cask Nation. I had the pleasure of being with my friend Pedro tonight and the Seven Grand Whiskey Society. Uh, we had some peaty treats. We had some grain treats. And I think people had a good time. A little space I love in there as well. It's always a good time when I get to come to Seven Grand. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Be sure to tell your friends about the Spirit Guide Society podcast if they'd like to learn more about the spirits that they love. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, there's the excitement. That was the excitement. You guys just need an excuse to let it out. All right? It's like, we gave you the excuse. Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. Of course you know why you're here, because it's a special occasion. We had to open up the double doors tonight. Thank you for being on the other side right? of the double doors. I still like it when we pack them in here like that's, sardines, that's but it. we're just trying to be considerate. Yeah. Fire hazards are bad, apparently. I think it's about body odor, actually. <laughs> no. It's been a long day. I, I flew here from Virginia. I wasn't talking about it. No, no, it's us. I it's see not you. No, no, stand close. Don't be afraid. It's all right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's always a special occasion when we have this man in the house. Uh, Single Cask Nation, or the company formerly known as. Now, things are all in, in change, which is why. Still Single Cask Nation. But, but some things are changing, but which we is do. what we're we going to talk about tonight. So please, give it, out to, give it up to the, you're the, the founder of founder. Single Cask Nation. Yeah. The nose and tongue of single cast nation. <laughs> and right now, the, the ears and eyes and feet. And this is it, yeah. That's, the whole deal. That's it. My business partner's out in a bar somewhere in Connecticut getting drunk right now. And <laughs> I'm actually out here working. So it's a tough life. Well, <laughs> we'll toast him in just a few minutes. So let's give it up to Mr. Jason Johnstone Yellen from Single Cast Nation. So your story is really interesting, and in my mind, it's one of the best examples of you can personally kind of trace the whiskey boom in your own experience, and from the perspective of not just one brand, but from someone who's been dealing with a lot of brands. The whole basis of your model of business is creating relationships with a lot of different distilleries, creating good relationships in which they would do things for you that they might not do for uh, other companies, at Correct. least at this point. Correct. So give us a little background about how you started off, because I don't know if everyone yeah, knows the story of the Jewish Whiskey Company and, and yeah. everything. Yeah, so, so to start at the very beginning, and I'll keep it very short, um, I, I got my introduction, even though I'm Scottish, um, I grew up hating whiskey. Um, I grew up in a blue-collar family. The, the whiskey of choice was the biggest plastic bottle that one could purchase for the least amount of money. Uh, and my dad and my uncles What was would, the name of the brand? Oh, shit of the day. Like, whatever, like, uh, it, I don't even think it had a brand name. Uh, it was, it was like, just Sharpie? Oh my God, if you showed up with Famous Grouse, you're, you're familiar with Famous Grouse? Oh yeah, yeah. If you showed up with Famous Grouse, you were the big cheese. Like, you- It's damn good whiskey. You knew whiskey. Our family was so far away from famous grouse, uh, it wasn't even funny. It was absolute rot gut and plastic jugs. 
Famously gross. Oh, famously, <laughs> famously gross. gross. Um, and so, so I, grew up, I grew up thinking I'd, I really didn't like whiskey. I went off to the University of Aberdeen, and as every story goes, uh, I met a Finnish guy. And uh, <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and Hashtag this, love wins. <laughs> and this Finnish guy said, I'm going to go to the Whiskey Society. Do you want to join me? And I was kind of like, oh, I don't really like whiskey. Um, but in the interest of making a friend, it was the first week at university. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. And, uh, and we went along. And I was like, holy shit, what is this product? My family has not been drinking this. And, and instantly fell in love. And so as four years went along, uh, this guy, Petty Pirainen, and I ended up running the Whiskey Society at the University of Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. Learned a ton about whiskey. A bit like this type of society, we would have guest speakers come in. They would bring the booze for pouring. Brilliant, brilliant times. So then cut to 2002, I've now moved to the United States and I'm missing my whiskey society. Uh, having that much whiskey at my disposal uh, was rather awesome. Um, and now I didn't have any. I was in Eastern Washington without whiskey. And, uh, and so I thought, as any Scotsman does, I'm going to start a society. And people started coming to my house, just like you good people this evening. And I had the opportunity to start buying whiskey to explore, to educate, to taste. It was magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And to this day, uh, that society continues uh, in the Inland Northwest. Uh, I've lived in Virginia for the last six and a half years. Uh, and I still have a society uh, in Pullman, uh, Washington, and Moscow, Idaho. That's so, great. It's brilliant. Do you ever get to go out and revisit the yeah, old society? Yeah, I saw them in December. I'll see them again in April. Um, April is a Springbank vertical, and so, yeah, I, I know the guy who organizes the tasting, so uh, I always coincide with a really good one. Um, and so out of that, I decided to create a website that would allow me a place to put my just my notes and exactly as Pedro said a moment ago this would have been 2009 the whiskey industry had realized there was this global boom somewhere around 2005 2006 so they were just starting to make up for a, a shortfall of product I came on with a blog uh, started writing about whiskey the industry started sending me samples life was awfully good um, my business partner Joshua at the same time started a blog, started receiving samples, life was good. And in Thanksgiving of 2010, he called me and he said, I was in San Francisco actually at family for Thanksgiving. And he said, Jason, I've got this crazy idea. And I knew exactly what he was gonna say next. And he said, I'm thinking about starting an independent bottling company. I said, this is before I understood the power of words. I said, that's a million dollar idea. I, I still have, I haven't seen a dollar, let alone a million. Um, but I said, that's a million dollar idea. And he said, I want you to be my partner in that. And at that point, I was teaching philosophy. And my wife was a graduate student at Washington State University. I had no conception of starting a company, let alone a whiskey company. But I had readers of my blog who would buy whiskey based on my recommendations. And even though I was getting sent free product, I never once wanted somebody to spend their money on a bottle that was shit. 
That's, I'm Scottish, right? Married to a Jewish woman, right? We're not wasting money, okay? <laughs> That's not happening. So, so I really wanted to protect that. So when it then came to partnering with Joshua Hatton, it was like, okay, let's go select some casks and let's go around the country talking like whiskey geeks to whiskey geeks about whiskey geekdom. And, <laughs> and that was 2010, we launched in 2011, we started doing the online thing, now we've added in the retail thing. Later this year, we're expanding to UK and Europe. Uh, we need to reinvest in Canada. Uh, we're ultimately gonna end up in Japan. So it's, we're also launching another brand, but that'll be next year. I'll tell you more about that next year. Um, Just come back, that's so, all we so want. So there's a ton of things happening that all came out of just a fortuitous meeting uh, with a fin. <laughs> How many stories begin with a fortuitous meeting with a fin? I'll tell you a really quick story. Uh, I feel like you're good people. So there is, there is some PG uh, 13 language in this, um, but you all seem like responsible adults. We're all at least 13 here. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. Um, so, so Petty, this guy Petty and I, we're walking across the University of Aberdeen campus and we're just chatting to each other in English because I do not speak Finnish. And, and as we go across the quad, this, cup, this pair of women come the opposite direction. And all I know is, as they've gone past us, they've been deep in conversation and it sounds Scandinavian. I, I don't know if it's Swedish or Finnish or Norwegian, but they're distinctly speaking something Scandinavian. And my friend Petty turns to me and he goes, no way, I can't believe what she just said to her friend. I was like, what? And he goes, in Finnish, she just told her friend. And at that point, I pulled his cock out of my mouth. <laughs> it's such a valuable lesson. And just because you think you're in a foreign land with a foreign language, the universe will somehow make it work <laughs> that Jason gets to know at that point you pulled the cock out of your mouth. So, remarkable, absolutely remarkable. So. Well, now you guys have gone, when you first started off, it Did was that online. Your question? <laughs> We're getting there, it's all right, it's We're Monday. We're gonna be here all night. That's right, oh, all night. the night is young. <laughs> <laughs> and we have wonderful whiskey. <laughs> so why would you want to go anywhere else? Exactly. No, um, so when you started off, it was originally online. Yes. It was, it was an online club and people yes. would get samples. And, and then, yeah, so tell us yeah. how the initial model, and that still exists, you can Correct. still do that. But Correct. tell me how things have shifted out. Tell me the, the roots, because yeah. I, I know we've had you in here before, but this is yes. the first time we've had you on the podcast. I want Thank people you. to know about the Jewish Whiskey Company. Thank you. And then how everything is now changing. Perfect. Um, so kind of to, to further answer your, your first question with your second. So with Josh and I doing this 2010, 2011, and with the industry playing catch up, when Josh and I launched, we didn't have access to a lot of casks, as you can imagine, right? We're two whiskey bloggers with some industry contacts. We're kind of begging people, cheers. Uh, we're begging people for contact, for access. How can we make this work? And one thing Josh and I realized was there was a distinct lack of available casks. And so he and I knew if we could make this work for five years, if we could tread water, we would have enough access to casks that we could build a reputation, 
we could get access to good people like yourself and good bars like this who would spread that word. And almost to the day that we said, if we could tread water for five years with this online model, shipping direct to doorsteps, we would have access to more casks than we knew what to do with. And that's exactly what happened. And so we now, and this would have been August of 2016. That's very specific. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> holy moly. August of 2016, Joshua came back from a trip to Scotland. We normally go together. Uh, he was doing some other business. And so he brought some samples back. As a whole, they were the best samples we'd ever tasted. Normally, if you were to get 20 or 30 or 50 samples, you would maybe bottle six things. Mm -hmm. And instead, he brought these back, and there were 15 things, 20 things, 25 things. And that was the beginning of the, the, um, the industry beginning to open its doors. Uh, they suddenly had availability of casks. That's why the retail line was born. So we still have the online. We now call it Special Projects Division. We have some very important relationships with distilleries who only let us do what we do because we sell it online. They're not competing with themselves on a retail store shelf. The other part of it is we want the retail bottlings to be able to tell their own story. If you were to walk into a, a store, maybe a little different than walking into a bar, but if you were to walk into a store, you might not have somebody talking you through what's on their shelves. Sure, it'd be hard to explain just looking at it being like, what, what does single cast nation exactly. mean? What is the whole story? Exactly. So, so we, need, we want distilleries that speak for themselves, and we really want juice that speaks for itself. So there's never a crossover between what we have in retail and what we have online. Online exists independently. Retail exists independently. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. And so this is kind of the launch of the retail line. This is the first time we've had you in for Whiskey Society yeah. with the, this new retail line. Exactly. So, so what's happened since spring of 2017 is Joshua and I took responsibility for our own distribution chains. Um, as you all know, you're all smart people. The US is a three-tier system. You have to have an importer, you have to have a distributor, you have to have a retailer. And we have always done that. Even when we've shipped, or sold online and shipped to doorstep, behind the curtain has always been the three-tier system. So when we went with retail, Josh and I were out talking to distributors. Would you bring this in? Would you pass this on to your retailers? In December uh, of last year, uh, we agreed to national distribution with Impex. Uh, Impex are based in San Francisco. They've imported us since 2011 and now we're in 43 states. Um, and so even now coming from San Francisco here, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, even now coming You can't from just run around all the states and buy all the whiskey. It's not possible. <laughs> Unless you don't have a job. <laughs> and so now that's what this week is about. Well, even now just expanded from Northern California to Southern California. Mm -hmm. uh, since it's a place I haven't been to in a couple of years, and LA has been my market. So that's why you haven't seen me. So I've been a bad seen boy. This whole whiskey world explode, and especially yeah. in the last year, like uh, you guys not only do single malt scotches, but you guys now have done a lot of sourcing of American distillers oh, as well. Yeah. For instance, I heard that you guys had a wild turkey expression it's that came out, and 
and the popularity has gone absolutely wild. Correct. Now you have to be, you have to win a lottery in order to have a chance to buy a single cast expression of wild turkey. It's crazy, and like some of these expressions are selling out in like 30 minutes. They'll put them up on more like two minutes. <laughs> more like two minutes. It is. Right. It's it's become kind of insane. Uh, when I first started coming here uh, to LA into Seven Grand uh, with the online model, uh, it was casts that we could bring in. We could maybe sell them for a couple of years. We could get around the country pouring them for people, building membership, uh, and then we decided uh, on the strength of what we're bottling for Whiskey Jubilee, uh, which Whiskey Jubilee festival bottlings always were American. We decided to see if we could do an American bottling for our online component. And it, for months, we kept announcing, kept announcing. We also have a podcast called One Nation Under Whiskey, where we talk about the company, the highs, the lows, uh, the pitfalls, the successes. And we kept talking about this American cast that was coming, American cast. And this is LA, right? You've yeah, all you're in Los Angeles. Right? You've all seen Hitchcock's The Birds, right? As those birds gather on the fence and the roof and the wall and the swing set, that's what it was like waiting on the wild turkey dropping. It was insane. I started to get just a little bit scared. Um, and, and even though people were signing up, they were becoming members of the online, which is free, just need an email address. It was still, we still didn't quite know how it was gonna sell. And so on May 1, we launched two casts of wild turkey and combined, they sold out in three minutes. And so it was those grackles, the birds were actually buying all the whiskey? It was, they were banging against the window, they were coming down the chimney, they were breaking the front door. It was mental, absolutely mental. Um, so it was our most successful day ever as a company. It was also our worst day ever as a company because at one point we had 1,500 people on our website trying to buy what came to about 200 bottles. So that, to my year, because I'm a Scottish pessimist, to my year that translates as 200 successes and 1,300 failures. And suddenly 1,300 failures had a bone to pick with Jason and Joshua. And we've always been nice guys, decent guys, good guys, fair guys. We're always in front of people. We have the Facebook group. Um, we're very honest about the company and suddenly we pissed off a whole bunch of people and that sucked, yeah. sucked. I know all about that. Oh my goodness. So for the next Wild Turkey release, we said, okay, we're going to do a lottery. And 3,000 people signed up to have a chance at 160 bottles. However, while only 160 people could get a bottle, Everybody who signed up felt like they had a fair shake at it. There were no pissed off people. It's a lot more work, I'll be honest with you. I would much rather sell out 200 bottles in three minutes than fucking work a lottery. Um, but it was fair and it was the right thing to do and people were very happy with us. So 
Well, beautiful. So, so what is this first expression yes. of the new retail line that we're going to be tasting I mean, tonight? Well, these people are so well trained. I've seen almost no glasses go to lips. This is a, and to be honest with you, I was going to continue talking just to see how long you would go. Yeah. We'll see how, yeah. Look, Paul's drinking his right now. Oh, that guy's really, he's been a, been a, I've already, I've already All right. A so, bunch of miscreants. Um, so kind of as, as we're saying a moment ago, um, for the retail line, I want something that if you take it home, it'll tell you its own story. So this is a canvas. How many of you are familiar with the canvas distillery? Okay, a couple of people. This is good. Now the question is how familiar and how much bullshit can I make? So <laughs> I, I got to gauge this, okay? Uh, Josh, so, Josh will call you out. <laughs> so, so the canvas distillery is a Scottish grain distillery. It was just outside of Edinburgh, and it closed in 1988, 88 or 89. <laughs> I'm being careful. Uh, 88 or 89, it shut down. And so we've got a cask of canvas. Um, for, you have to forgive me. So when I, when I started, and it was single cask nation online, we literally had three casks that we were pitching at any one time. I've now got tons. And I don't say that hashtag humble brag. I say that, I say that as I'm a dad with two kids and a hardworking wife. I can't remember everything all the time now. Uh, the canvas it could be the whiskey too. I haven't had any today. That's the problem. Ah, let's yeah, now that. we've identified it. So this was distilled September of 1988. And the question I always ask groups, what were you doing September of 88? <laughs> yeah, right? Ooh. It's a good question to ask, right? Ouch, huh? Stephanie, We do know you're Stephanie. all over 13. That's the aye, only aye, thing aye. we know right now, right? Oh, geez. 88, I was 14, uh, September. I'd had my summer holidays. Oh, I'd gone to England, of all places. You ever been to England? Yes. Spend your money on Scotland. <laughs> it's all right. Like, if you have to go somewhere, go there. Um, so, September, I was 14. Yeah, I was, I was in high school. Yeah, I was not having fun. You weren't drinking whiskey. Yet. I wasn't drinking whiskey. I thought it was all rock garden shit. So, okay, how many of you just have interest? How many of you were not born in September of 88? Oh, goodness. All right, okay, it's not that many. Okay, that'll do. So, so September of 88. Um, it was then in a refill bourbon barrel for 28 years. So refill, kind of the, the barrel maturation I've talked about previously, I'm sure every single week people talk to you about barrel maturation. Uh, first fill is received from America. We put Scottish new make in it. We mature scotch, we bottle it, we use it a second time. Second <coughs> fill, we mature it, we bottle it, we use it a third time. At that point, because we have some decency, we start calling it refill. And refill can be third use, fourth use, use, fifth use. I was getting too far ahead in my own sentence. So third, fourth, and fifth, we somewhat decently call refill. So pay attention when you get a bottle. Sometimes you'll get a refill that the liquid in the bottle could be as clear as water. It's a tired, exhausted, knackered cask, right? Can still be useful, and I'll say why in a second. It holds liquid. It holds liquid. It stops liquid from becoming a puddle on a floor. That's what it's good for. Um, or you could maybe get a lightly used third use refill that would impart a bit more color than you're used to seeing in a refill whiskey. 
Um, so don't always just assume certain words are attached to certain colors. That's always important. Um, this has some lovely color on it uh, because 28 years in a refill bourbon barrel, it was a nice grain whiskey. How many of you drink grain whiskey somewhat regularly? A Scottish grain whiskey. Okay. The best. Yeah, maybe a quarter, right? Scottish grain whiskey can be incredibly delicious. Um, so it was good, but we thought, because we're kind of into this to have some fun, uh, that we would put it uh, for six months into a first fill muscatel barrique. Right? So what's muscatel barrique for those of us who are not wine drinkers? So honestly, I, I guarantee you there are people in this room who are bigger wine drinkers than me. All I know is muscatel is a sweet dessert wine grape. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yes. yes. There we go. Perfect. Salute. Right? So there you go. So you get the sweetness from it. You get a little bit of additional color. And so we, we put this in front of somebody in Scotland, and they stuck their nose in and they said, they actually said candy floss, which translates as cotton candy. And so it has that sweetness right in the front of it. Grain whiskey itself will already bring a sweetness. There's a high percentage of corn uh, distilled in a continuous column still. Uh, so very sweet. Um, good texture from it as well. Are they sourcing their corn from America? Uh, not necessarily. Um, my, I, I don't actually know where they're sourcing it from, but I wouldn't imagine America. America has tended to be expensive for the Scots. Okay. We tend to go east to get things a little cheaper. Okay. But I don't know how far east, so. They get some from Spain. Last time I asked. Okay, Spain. They're sourcing some from Spain. Oh, yeah, checks out. Yeah, checks out. Uh, so this and this has oh, an yeah. age statement on it. Uh, yes, yeah, so 28 years old, but a natural cast strength and why we're starting with it, partly because it's grain, uh, partly because it's got that kind of sweetness, but also because it's 42.6% alcohol at natural cast strength. So it went down in proof exactly. while in the barrel. Exactly. And grain will go into your barrel at a slightly higher proof than your normal 63.5. It'll also be distilled to a higher proof than you're used to seeing single malts distilled to. Um, so, it, so that's really unusual. So it goes in the casket like 126 proof, and 28 late, years later, it comes out at 86 proof, exactly. the other, 84 proof. The other thing is as you move from original cask into, for example, a wine cask like this, is they will keep wine in that cask to keep it nice and wet uh, so that the flavors are there of the wine. If they were to you transport- also, You have to deliver it wet or else it's not viable. You'll have to put water exactly. in there to reinvigorate it. It and won't hold liquid if you don't deliver exactly. it wet. And if you're putting water into a wine cask, you're you have made it. a huge mistake. Water's uh, a great solvent. Oh God, that's terrible. Famously too. great solvent. Uh, so for the most part, we're dealing with dunnage warehouses, which will go three casks high. You'll have a soil floor. Temperature doesn't have great fluctuation in it because you've got solid stone walls uh, in there. Uh, our outdoor temperature is never going to get too crazy. For us in Scotland, 65 Fahrenheit could be a lovely summer's day. Uh, at the same time in the winter, uh, I don't know if you know this, other parts of the world have this thing called winter. Um, yeah. People in California it's, don't even and know what talking And about. hold on to your hats because it goes below 65. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry to, be, to tell you that other That's people are freezing. suffering. I know. Other people wear more than sweaters in the winter. It's What's insane. a sweater? <laughs> That's why I'm dressed like this today. Um, 
So, so yeah, so we're losing that alcohol to the angel's share. The number that you'll always get is 2% evaporation uh, because that's what the tax man allows. Um, actual evaporation is less than 1%, um, but the tax man allows it, you sign for it on your taxes. So um, the other thing to take note though, is this isn't just the age of it that has allowed that angel share to accrue because we were talking about here about your wine casks and your sherry casks being transported with liquid in them, they are of a lower ABV than the whiskey you're putting in it. And so that wine or that sherry will also dilute the alcohol. Um, and sometimes if this was a younger whiskey, say 10, and it came down to mid 40s, low 40s, you would know there was a ton of liquid left in that cask. Exactly. Exactly. Correct, correct. So right. let's taste some whiskey. We've been talking about this for like hours now. Um, yeah, really, seriously. So tap it over your tongue. What are you guys reminded of? What do you smell as you get into this Canvas 28? Caramel. And what's unique about the grain whiskey? Do you guys notice something about this? It's different from single malt scotches? Very close to bourbon. Very close to bourbon. For me, there's an astringency. When I smell grain whiskey, one of the first things I get on this mm -hmm. nose is there's, there's a very light note in the top of the back of my palate. It's, it's this isopropyl note. It's, it's light. It's a lightness. It's a so let's talk about that for a second. So a Scottish grain aligns perfectly with American light whiskey. And we've released American light whiskey. Not a lot of other people have. Um, but what you're doing with your grain distillation, your column, is you're often taking it up to 94.5% alcohol. If you went another half percent higher, you would have vodka, essentially neutral grain spirit. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you could have something that would seem so light on entry and yet have this, for me it's often pear drops or acetone, so not, not necessarily in this, but in grain whiskey or, or light whiskey, when you've distilled it to such a high number, you've really stripped out uh, a lot of the, the kind of the cogeners that would deliver flavor for you and texture for you, which is why it does especially well when it's then left alone in refill for, I've had good Gervin at 10, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. but oftentimes people talk about 20 years, 30 years, 40 years uh, of being left alone uh, for that whiskey to come into its own. Circle back to what I said earlier about not all refill casts are created equal. If you have a pretty tired cask, but you allow your grain spirit to be in it for 20, 30, 40 years, it's gonna pull every last note from that cask without being overwhelmed by wood. And right now, and I'd be curious to hear what you're seeing as well. I'm getting some really interesting flavor notes. For me, I'm getting like almost like a baked bean smell. So like brown sugar, red beans, mm. and then there's a, a, there's a little bit of tannic on the back end of the nose, like a tobacco. Yep. On, on the, the back of the nose yeah. for me. That muscatel is present on the back. That's what I really like. That kind of tannic note that you're describing. Mm -hmm. I think you've got a little bit of influence from the wood. You've got a little bit of influence from the, the muscatel as well. Yeah, the, the hope for us is I don't, have, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. And so I wouldn't want a, a sweet whiskey that became cloying. I would want there to be some balance between the sweet and the, the more tannic, right? that slight astringency to the back. Like it's juicy to the front, 
but a little drying to the back. It's it's mm. in balance, right? There's a harmony there that's hugely important. Ooh, I'm getting that Rolo candy, like caramel and milk chocolate. Mm. Really, really nice. Yeah, good. Beautiful. So if I was going to buy this in a retail store, do we know what the liquor store cost is on this, Josh? I'm looking at you. Yeah. Uh, I want to say approaching 200. 200. Whoa, not too risky. And do we know, thank you, love. Is Do we know what the, the well, mash you. bill actually is? You said it was corn, but what else? Yeah, no, 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 no. Those grain distillers are not releasing mash bills. They were just, you could speak to a lot of Scottish distillers. It's just product in, product out. And so nobody, in 88, nobody was particularly interested. It's aside from the fact it would have been high corn. That's, that's just it. There would have been a bit of malted barley in there as well for enzymatic reaction. Uh, there, I doubt there's any rice in it, but maybe is. The goal for Joshua and I from day one was to go into warehouses and cherry pick casks. When you're only looking for single casks, they, they can be okay with cherry picking. We've now reached a stage where we're looking for a whole hell of a lot more casks. There's a lot less cherry picking going on. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we've noticed is as we've gone through this period of max production with distilleries and with craft brewers in the US putting everything they can into ex-bourbon, there's such a shortage of casks that you're now seeing more and more and more refill hitting the market. Oh, yes. Whereas if you were buying independent bottle, bottler product in even the 90s, you were, so there's two things going on here. Number one, they were telling you this was matured in oak. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock, right? <laughs> all, all you've given me is a legal stipulation, right? I know it was matured in oak because you sold me a bottle of whiskey. Um, to then say more about it wasn't really the style. And so when Josh and I came along, we wanted full transparency. And so there are times when we're writing, yep, this is refill, that's refill, this other is refill. The thing, and this is what I was answering to, to Hodis a moment ago, the thing that we're seeing is if we buy from the secondary market, uh, a broker on the secondary market may have already moved liquid into another cask. They want color. Color is hugely important to them. And in the absence of caramel, you need to be finishing it in something a bit more lively to get some of that char in there, to get some of the vanillins, the tannins in there. So if we, as we did in this case, if we were offered this already six month finish canvas, and we thought it was a good representation of grain whiskey, even finished grain whiskey, you bet your bottom dollar we're sticking that in a bottle to enjoy. Um, we haven't yet been in the position of needing to transfer, but I fully envision in the future, yeah, we'll definitely need to be re-racking. Uh, I was in Spain two weeks ago sourcing sherry casks um, because I know what's coming. So what's the second, um, yeah. the second mark that Stephanie's passed around? Yeah, so now in your glass, you've got some inch murrin. How many of you have some inch murrin in your, in your collections at home? Oh. Do not. <laughs> is this another <laughs> grain distillery? No. So Inchmurrin is not a grain. So Inchmurrin is the release, one of the releases from the Loch Lomond distillery. So Loch Lomond, just outside of Glasgow, uh, we've bottled Crofting Gaea previously from Loch Lomond. Uh, Loch Lomond is my 11-year-old's favorite distillery. Uh, <laughs> he drinks a lot of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you know your Tintin, and not a lot of Americans know their Tintin, uh, Captain Haddock's favorite distillery was Loch Lomond. At the time that Hervé was writing Tintin, there was no such distillery as Loch Lomond Distillery. Uh, Hervé, the Frenchman, just wanted a whiskey that sounded really Scottish. Uh, and Loch Lomond is what he came up with. Uh, Loch Lomond, I think, came online in 1965. Um, they've got a, a configuration of stills that allows them to produce 14 different styles of whiskey. And they will go all the way from non-peated, which they call Inchmurrin, all the way to heavily peated, which they call Croftingea. The thing to remember as you're going through the Inchmurrin is it was still distilled on equipment that would have distilled some peated spirit. So if you get a little peaty note to it, that's not from the barley, that's from the equipment. That's always worth remembering. So stick your nose in this glass, guys, and share your experience. This is a place where you can deepen your own sense of smell and taste, but also better actualize your ability to communicate in a group. So what's going on for you? Michael, what are you getting? Gosh. I got a bit of the sharp mineral aspect, and the alcohol is really up front, and a lot of green, wet grass. Ah. Green, wet grass. What about over here? What are you getting on your notepad there? What'd you get? I <laughs> Are you just drawing pictures? No. No, no. What'd you get? What'd you get? I'm getting a lot more grass, a little bit of like, not quite sure what stuff to say, but definitely something grassier. And a little bit of wood smoke, is that what you said? Yeah. Right on, right on. Clean that checks out. Natalie, what are you getting? On the nose, cherry pie, on the palate, deep, deep sherry tannic qualities. Gorgeous. Evan? It's so rummy. Rummy. Stephanie, what do you think? Um, I'm getting kind of like a prickly pear and lychee. Mm. Yeah. There's a nuttiness to it. I smell that sherry right away. I get that those like cashews from that sherry cask. Mm. Prunes, raisins. Prunes and raisins, excellent. Yeah, it's got a bite. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's so now get into the texture. Tap it over your tongue. Think of the architecture of the whiskey. How does it what's the beginning, middle, and end? of this flavor arc across your palate and share that experience. Think about the architecture of the whiskey. Yeah, what, one thing that Josh and I always go for, and Josh and I select every single cast that goes into bottle, what we do first is line up the samples and we do the nose test. Mm. If any sample fails the nose test, it gets rejected. It can have the best palate in the world. If it doesn't have a good nose, it's gone, it's over, it's dead. Uh, likewise, if it has a great nose, moves to the mouth, and it's got a terrible palate, it gets rejected. So we are looking, just as Pedro said a moment ago, we're looking for nose, transition to palate, transition to finish, and texture. We are both mouthfeel guys, right? And so we really want there to be a presence on your tongue, on the cheeks, the inside of your cheeks, on your lips, right? And that's also where flavor will start to build. It's also where you'll find salt residue in some cases. Not necessarily in this example, but it might be. I'm getting that minerality that Michael was referring to. I'm also yeah. getting like linen. L linen to me always speaks to ex-bourbon maturation. Linen notes, clean linen. airing cupboard. Which is lignans. Oh, there you go. Makes good sense, right? right? And so, yeah, so if, if you are note takers, I will give you the full breakdown. Uh, distilled at Loch Lomond Distillery, aged 20 years in a second fill bourbon barrel. There's a very long cast number that you don't need to know. Uh, 
It's up here if you need pictures. Uh, distilled February of 97, bottled April of 2017, one of 201 bottles at 62.4% alcohol. Which brings us to our next delivery point. It didn't make sense with canvas. It makes sense with inch murren. Take your, did I do that or did you do that? There's a little switcheroo. Oh gosh, oh gosh. Oh the nerves, oh the nerves, oh the nerves. So there's, there's multiple things we can do. Let's have some fun. Take your finger, dip it into your whiskey. Get on your, get on your finger and then just rub it gently. Stick it in your neighbor's ear. There you go. And now, if you've, if you've deposited it on the other side of your hand, right? Just rub your finger against your thumb, the same finger that you dipped into your whiskey. Rub it against your thumb before it dries. Those are your oils. Those are, that's your mouthfeel, that's your texture. That's exactly what Joshua and I are looking for in the mouth, but now you just get to experience it a slightly different way, right? It comes nice and glossy on your finger. It's not often you see a Scotsman tell you to waste good whiskey, but it's, it's education, that's why we do it. The other thing is, of course, Take, you've all got water on your tables. I don't know how friendly you all are, but stick your finger into the water and let some drops. They have water glasses too. Ah. They can also pour some in. You know, don't have to like go commute ah, from this. So what we're gonna do is, cause we're at 62.4, all you're doing is experimenting. So do a couple of drops, swirl it, nose it, taste it, see what it's doing. Add a few more drops, swirl it, nose it, taste it. What you'll find is as you start to drop the water into it, you'll get an increase in the sweetness of it, the, maybe even the floral component, but the bouquet will become much more pronounced as the water breaks the surface tension and starts to release the volatiles. Yeah, I'm getting that same cactus note that Stephanie was mentioning too. That goes back to that minerality. It's like an earthy minerality, a saltiness to it, which is wonderful. When you don't have any peat going on in there to distract you, you realize just how grassy malted barley is. Yes, it's got some nice sweet sugars to it, but then it's also got that cereal note, that fresh grass. But going back to, as Stephanie goes around with this third expression, yeah. the idea that you initially only choose from casts that have a great nose. Yes. Now that's really specific, but then you say also that you guys are big mouthfeel guys. So first, like say you go to a distillery, they're gonna bring you 20 casts to, yeah. to taste, or are they gonna bring you 60? How many? No, no, you no, no, 20. You're, you're, so 20, yeah, 25 casts? No, 15, 20. Yeah. 15 to 20 casts. So then you go through those 20 casts, you nose them all side by side before you even start sipping, and then, once you've chosen out of that 25, which ones you want to taste, then you start going into that mouthfeel. Is that what's going on? Correct, yeah, correct. Because it, it needs to be that continuation, right? The, the other thing, and, and I get this a lot, doing tasting as an independent bottler, not every audience is as knowledgeable as this audience. There, there are places I go where people have never heard of independent bottling. And, and I've even had one person call it re-bottling, which, that makes me want to kill myself or them. <laughs> Not sure the order, um, right? And so this, the idea that your independent bottler is somebody whose palate jives with yours is lost on a lot of people. And so as Josh and I are going through these kind of tasting procedures, that's what people entrust us to do. And you get to that point where someone says, wow, 
if not everything I get from you, so many of the things I get from you really fit my palate. And I think it's no different than going into a bar and having someone in charge of a, of a whiskey program in a bar. If you don't jive with that person's palate, it's gonna make no sense of their recommendations, right? But if you jive with their palate, there's so much you can take from that experience. So the, the other thing I, I would say as well is, we never, because we're writing the checks, mm -hmm. we're never selecting in a warehouse. If you're in a warehouse and somebody's popping bungs and using the, uh, the copper dog or what have you and filling your glass, that's an amazing experience. It's wonderful. Uh, it's an easy way for money to leave your pocket like butterflies, right? Uh, and so instead, what we do is kind of a, a rough and ready. We go through the casks and we say, okay, we'll take samples from A, C, F, H, you know, like that. And then we'll do a full tasting of them back in our office. So it's the same uh, conditions every single time uh, that we're selecting a cask. Very specific. Yeah. So what is this third mark that Stephanie's coming around with now? Uh, so this is Craig Elicky. Craig Elicky. Uh, uh, up until a couple of years ago, I could say to you, how many of you have Craig Elicky in your collections and not a lot of hands would go up? Uh, and now they've gone and released some official bottlings uh, from the distillery. I know there's a 13, I know there's a 23, there may or may not be a 17. Um, but now they're putting out, where you would have known Craig Elicky from before uh, is that it's a component of the Dewar's blend. And I said that in my best American accent. Uh, <laughs> Dewar's, uh, we call it Dewar's. Um, but yeah, Dewar's. So, uh, anybody familiar with Craig Elicky? Do you have any of the OBs? Thanks, okay, a couple there, a couple there. Oh, yeah. A couple there. Uh, so, so Craig Elicky, um, it's not particularly well known. Um, it normally has kind of a, a lighter profile. And when Joshua and I first sampled this example of it, we were kind of blown away by the depth of it, the weight of it. And as I've poured this for people, They've said, like, where's that depth and weight coming from? Um, and my understanding is that Craig Elicky has worm tubs. Yep. And if, if you're not buying whiskey based on distilleries having worm tubs or not, uh, you're really missing out on an angle. Uh, it makes because, it meaty. Right? It meaty, like, heavy. Like chicken bouillon. Right? There you go. Exactly. Oily. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matzo ball soup, she said. Ah, there you Stephanie go. says uh, chicken bouillon. So what they're talking about is is the in the the recondensing of the whiskey, the the alcohol vapor is hitting a worm tub. So it's the old world style. Exactly. It's a copper tube that spirals through a, a cold water source to recondense the whiskey, which is very much an old world process. Correct. Correct. But but whereas a lot of your condensers now are kind of tall and slim. Uh, with a lot of columns inside, a lot of tubes inside for max condensing. A worm tub, if you, you, you always have to go outside of the, the still room to see it, but it's like a long bathtub and you'll actually see the copper. And the copper's probably this uh, in its worm tub outside so in, maybe in that bathtub. Four inches in diameter, a yeah. big fat copper pipe. Yeah, right? It's at that point I took the copper pipe out of my mouth. 
Um, and what you'll find is the copper is in max contact. The, the vapor passes through it really slowly. They also go through the copper that's in a warm tub much more rapidly than they do in one of the more modern style condensers. So there's a ton of copper contact. As it's going through slowly, you're getting this, these big meaty notes from it. If you ever have the chance to try Old Pulteney New Make Spirit, it doesn't taste a lot like the standard offerings from that distillery. Old Pulteney New Make Spirit is meaty and salty uh, and really oily. And then at 12 years old, it's chill filtered and over diluted and you lose all the work that your distiller did with the distillate. It's really sad. Uh, <laughs> and, and so when, when uh, Jim Murray named the 21-year-old Old Pulteney the best whiskey in the world, he was really close to being right. Uh, the 17-year-old is a better whiskey than the 21-year-old because it still has the weight to it. Uh, and I had the pleasure of discussing that with uh, the distillery manager at Old Pulteney, and he and I have palates that totally jive. And he agreed, of course, because uh, <laughs> our palates jive, no other reason. Uh, that the 17-year-old is the more representative of the Old Pulteney offerings. Well, let's taste this together, shall we? Yeah. We've got this. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So what's the age statement again? So we're going to come down. We get to a point where people start saying, do you only bottle old stuff? And the question that we used to get when we only had online was people would say, well, do you only bottle young stuff? Yeah. Um, it, we've completely changed how we do business. It's amazing. Uh, and so what you've got in your glass now is a 10-year-old Craig Ellicke. Um, it was all 10 years in a refill bourbon hogshead. Dist oh my goodness, do you get ramen noodles? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, my so, so the tasting, we're going, we're going back to the but we're increasing in Yeah, this is going to get real. So what's the proof? Uh, so, so I'll get there in a second. So I'm going I'm to ask questions of the audience. Um, so this was distilled May of 2008, bottled May of 2018. Um, would you like to hazard a guess at the ABV? I will not accept it in proof. I will only yeah. accept it in ABV. It's super high. Okay, we've got super high is the opening. 60 something. 64. We got 64 being offered. Give me some numbers. 66. 66. 67. Gone as high as 68. Who sells whiskey at 68%? Does anybody think it's lower than 60? Okay, a few people do. Just under, so like a 58, 59? Yeah. Okay, anybody want to go lower than 58, 59? 57, 55. Would you be surprised if I told you it was 67.3? So like 125 proof here. So what are you guys getting off this 135 proof? Tap it over your tongue. How is this experience different from the first couple ones that you've tasted tonight? I'm still well, giving them. The savory one of the bunch, yeah. for sure. So, so one thing that we do is we post full tasting notes for everything we bottle online, but because we always figure, at very worst, if you're drinking this whiskey, you're holding this bottle, right? <laughs> Spoiler alert: it's hard to drink it without holding the bottle. Um, although you're all succeeding. And so what we do is we put a truncated tasting note on our label. 
Uh, the other thing that we've, we've altered is this is from the fourth release. Uh, each of the whiskies you've had so far from earlier releases. And so in listening to retailers, uh, they wanted some kind of demarcation around regions. And so this kind of richer reddish brown is our Speyside region. Uh -huh. uh, we also have a, uh, Stones of uh, Stenness, which is actually a Highland Park, 18-year-old uh, Highland Park, and it's purple cask. Um, really, we're just trying to demark differences in regions. Um, we also, again, if you've ever listened to our podcast, if you've met us, if you've come to these tastings, we're really just in this to have fun. We really are. And on the back of our label, for the fourth release onwards, we've put in a flavometer. Uh, and we added a flavometer just so we could say the word flavometer. Uh, and <laughs> and when, when we first came up with it, I kept calling it a flavometer, uh, and Joshua kept making fun of me. Um, and so I now also, right? I now also have to call it a flavometer. So, and, and so we have, uh, what do we have? I don't have my reading glasses. Uh, we have floral, sweet, rich, nutty, spicy, earthy, smoky, woody our categories in our flavometer, and then we try and give a little bar representation of where we think it falls in that. The only thing for us is, we just want the notes in the flavometer to be a jumping off point for you. It's, it's not the answer key, right? It's however you experience it, it's however you discuss it with friends, um, but for the truncated note, and uh, people always ask me if we write these notes when we're drunk, yeah. Uh, we actually, yeah, right. We actually write the, right. We, we actually write the notes at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, my kids get on the school bus. I go into my office and I write tasting notes. Um, so, so you can see if this jives with you or not. Uh, known for its typically heavy style of whiskey, this Craigellicky falls right into line. Its departure, however, is in the heavily peated character of the spirit, dank and pungent. You really got to be confident in who's buying your bottles when you write things like dank and pungent. Well, that's very popular in California. Right. Okay. Thank you. Usually not with whiskey. It's a, it's a different agricultural We're found product. Our people. Yes. Weed is legal here. We like it dank and pungent. Yeah. Well, you like where it goes then. Dank and pungent with earthy smoke. Yeah. Yes. Uh, however, don't fret. Rich fruits, an oily mouthfeel and a bread-like multi backbone remain. Yeah. So just a jumping off point for a 67.3% whiskey, yeah. Yeah, so, so we had a kind of a funny moment. This, this is a very honest story. This is how transparent Josh and I are. So when we had this sample, we couldn't believe how peaty it was. And and we wrote the notes accordingly, and off we jolly well went, right? Saying, it's not like Craigellicky to use peated barley, but holy shit, if that's not peaty. And so we wrote the notes, literally, and this is the case in everything we bottle, months went by between selecting it, sending it to our bottling hall, getting labels approved by the TTB, thanks government shutdown, we're now fucked on that front again. Uh, the TDB had got it down to a four-day turnaround. Now we're looking at, a, because of the weekend, a 37 or 38-day backlog. Sucks. And so we, we go peers, right? So then it's label approval, label application. Then we've got importation. We got it six weeks on the water because we 
uh, import to San Francisco. So months go by between selecting a cask, writing the notes, and getting it into the country. So we got our sample sent to us by our importer, and I was busy with my family, and I got a text from Joshua, and he says, this is not the Kregeliki we selected. <laughs> Which just makes your heart drop, and your stomach drop, and your feet drop, and you just lie down in a dark room for a few minutes. And, um, and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So what you end up having to do, if it's the case that something gets confused along the way, you have to do mass uh, spectrometry, right? To actually look at the chemical com compounds, to be able to actually go back and say, this literally is not the same whiskey. So I said, okay, I'm busy today. Let's circle back tomorrow. We'll take our sample, because we always save our sample, uh, and we'll put it next to what was bottled. And we put the sample. Where, where do you have the DC mass back? Uh, I know a guy. You well, guy. Actually, actually, I know a woman. Uh, my, my wife is a wildlife biologist with access to oh, all the machinery wow. that we nice. need. Um, and so we put the sample next to the bottle, and they were identical. What happens is, and this happens to all of you with your own collections, your memory starts to, to remember in a very different way. So that's why we write the notes when we write the notes. So there's not a history going onto the label. But really what had happened was a note that we had fixated on came to pass wasn't a note that was maybe as big as the savory note, right? But that's where our noses, our palates had gone on that particular day, which is why none of this is an exact science. It's why the truncated note is just a jumping off point, right? It's also funny when we get heavily peated whiskies and we don't really pay a lot of attention to the peat level, we instead talk about, oh, do you get the bananas foster? Do you get the warm brown sugar? Do you get the syrup? Right? And then people put their nose in and they go, that's all peat all the time. And you go, yeah, but if you just go around the side of that, don't you get banana? And, and sometimes they grudgingly, eh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. So yeah, so on any given day, just like your own palace, just like tonight, some of these are going to taste different tonight than how they taste next week when you buy them and they're in your cabinet. And so. there's bottle rest that occurs. There's yeah, right. The, oh, yeah, the spirit right. can rest in the bottle right. as it's being shipped, and it, it'll change slightly in its flavor profile. Absolutely. There's a there's a there's an effect called bottle shock. And if you ever blend a whiskey, uh, you need to account for bottle shock because what you blend and what you put in bottle will not necessarily be the same thing. Right on, beautiful stuff. All right, so let's pass around this. Uh, yeah. What is this final mark tonight? Yeah. So one of the things that Joshua and I always talk about is transparency. Uh, I was making fun earlier about matured and oak telling you nothing. Um, there's also a difference that we make between independent bottling in the Scottish tradition and independent bottling in the American tradition. And, and, and both countries have this major distillers who will sell casks to independents. The difference in America is the name of the distillery must, must, must disappear. You instead have stories about grandpappy's recipe and handed down and Al Capone and so on and so forth. There's different ways to put lipstick on a pig. Um, the thing that was always important to Joshua and I, in the Scottish tradition, you've always been able to put the distillery 
front and center. So yes, you're drinking single-cast nation selections, but it's no surprise that you had a Cambus, name of a distillery, Krigeliki, name of a distillery, um, and many, many other things were bottled. What kind of pains me, and I think it's part of the timeline where we're at right now, Earlier on, I was talking about if Josh and I could tread water for five years, we would be offered more casks than we were offered when we started. More would be available than when we started. But what we didn't quite see on the horizon is that as distilleries started opening their doors, they would say, you can have the cask, but you can't use the name. And that, that's been a little bit of a pisser. So our, our Stones of Stenness that we've done two releases of, we talk about it. Question. Well, could you speak a little to that? I mean, is that a case of, of uh, you build relationships and they don't want everybody being able to say, hey, you, you, you sold to John, why aren't you selling to me? Or what is the, the nature of that? Um, yeah, no, that, that's a great observation. On one hand, it is a case of their doors were open to some, but not open to all. So when we came out in our first three bottles, released a Kilhoman, or we released Wild Turkey, uh, a natural cast strength under our livery, those distilleries are getting a lot of phone calls referencing single cast nation and what we're doing. So that's, and they don't like phone calls like that. Nobody likes phone calls like that. On the other side, it's also a case of, and, and Lafroig did this in the 90s, uh, when Murray McDavid released a Lafroig, that they were taken to court, and Lafroig didn't want Murray McDavid to use the name Lafroig because it was never clear how they'd matured the spirit, right? So if you're Lafroig, you're very protective of your name. That's a global brand. You don't want some jamoke like me pitching up sticking it into, I don't know, an X something silly cask, and then coming out and saying, this nasty, nasty liquid is Lafroig, right? They go, never seen it a day in my life. Um, and so Lagavulin's a big one for that one as well. The Azure, very protective Lagavulin. That's understandable, like, because people could do weird finishes and then create some kind of bad name around Absolutely. Your I, so on one hand, I see where they're coming from. On the other hand, if you're an independent bottler, you don't want to release shit, right? That's, we're, we're in it to release good whiskey the same way the distillery is in it to release good whiskey. Do you have mistakes that you have to move on and sell? Yes. Are you looking to put out terrible whiskey? No. So I, I wish there was, so, so I think now that we're, this is just my conjecture. You can take it for what it's worth. Now that I think we're moving towards whiskey law status, like we were in the 80s, I think you're going to get major players who say, just buy the cask. Yeah, you can stick the name on it. I don't even care. Just buy the cask. We've made so much that we just need it to go away. And I, I think that's my prediction for the next five years. I was right on the first five years. Even a broken clock's right once a day. Twice a day. Twice. Twice. <laughs> I undersell myself all the time. Um, I think the next five-year prediction will be you'll start to see names attached to big players uh, who have more cast to sell. So this isn't one of your undisclosed right here? So with that lead-in, yeah. <laughs> the man's a professional. Uh, with that lead-in, 
This is an undisclosed Isla. So which one is it? So, <laughs> so I cannot write it down for you. We cannot put it on the label. But we do like to use language yes. like this classic North Shore distillery. The North Shore? Right? Ah. <laughs> but it's classic. So stick your nose in the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting off of this? I mean, really, it just matters if it's good and you like it. I got a huge barbecue on the nose, which I blew me away for what it is. What it actually is. I heard which that. I don't understand. I poured this multiple times today in Orange County, and everybody talked about barbecue. I didn't know LA had become a bastion for barbecue in America. We're getting better. We're getting better. Yeah, there's a there's a cigar ash yeah, on the finish ash. to me. Yeah. I'm getting Play-Doh, but there's something else in here too. Beef jerky. It can't, it can't be that distillery, but it must be. So, so remember my point from earlier. If you're an independent bottler, your job isn't just to select casks that, that basically mirror what the distillery is releasing. It's your job to show your consumers, fans, members, a different side of a distillery that they take for granted, right? And this is a distillery there's a lot of it in the marketplace. Some of it's anonymous, some of it is named. Maybe they make the most. Maybe they make the most, and maybe they reduce their numbers by two million uh, liters annually, uh, because and so, and so, yeah, it, so it is the distillery you think it is. Where did you find this? This was just open market, because the market is flooded with this distillery. The interesting thing, to give you a little peek behind the industry, we, on the contract we signed on this, the understanding was we could not name the name. We have another single cast coming that because of the contract that we signed, we can name the name. Oh, so uh, name that name. And so, <laughs> so the one that we're gonna be bottling later this year um, is from the Kalila Distillery. Oh, um, but that's a very different contract to the one we have with this distillery. Sure, sure, um, but, but yeah, we will have As a future uh, Kalila. Yeah, last year we bottled a 10-year-old Laphroaig, uh, and the name was front and center on that. So you just play it contract by contract. We have a lot of undisclosed We have, and under undisclosed Isla, we've also bottled this distillery and and a classic South Shore distillery, South Shore distillery. Uh, as well. That might start with L. Yeah, that wasn't, yeah, wasn't Lafroy. Paul, <laughs> so if we were going to find these, because they are retail, do you know what the liquor store cost is? Josh, do you know what the line well, runs? Pass it over. Uh, to that one? Well, on all four, on all four. So the first one was 100. What? No, I was actually wrong about that. I went back and looked because I was thinking of the Inverboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so, the, so the canvas and the inch marin, you'd be looking at probably 150 to 160 depending on the store. Uh, That's the, cheap uh, as chips, people. Yeah, for those. <laughs> I've got a family to feed. Come on. Get that up a bit. Who would willingly pay 200? <laughs> I would. <laughs> Yeah, the Kragelic you probably spend for about like one thirty-ish. What? Ish. And for the uh, uh, Isla, it's sixty-seven percent hour. Oops, yeah. that's exclusive. No, sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. David, sir, good personal friend. Doesn't exist anymore. Good personal friend. Yeah. Um, You're not doing many more whiskeys. Now, John, over. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, about the same, about one third each. There you go. Yeah. Wow. The, the thing that you need to do with Isla, Isla's getting silly. Yeah. Uh, last year we bottled the Lafroy 10 single cast. We sold that on retail shelves for $160. Again, I'm Scottish. That's a silly, silly, silly price. Of the five releases that we brought out in that time, it was the first one to sell out, right? Stop buying Isla. <laughs> oh, what's up? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. It is wow. the 10, it's not the six yeah, or the five. This one's way better. The six is the 10. Six is some people's favorites, the five is some people's favorites. Uh, you had a question that I... Uh, real quick, uh, do you have, have you already started uh, branching out to other spirits? Or I've never met this gentleman before this evening. So there's a reason the company is called Single Cask Nation, and there's no mention of whiskey in there. Uh, we always knew if it was in wood and we liked it, we would bottle it. So uh, we actually, for retail, we bottled our first rum. It's a, it was a Spanish rum, 18 years old. Uh, tremendous, really, really <coughs> wonderful. Uh, a lot of the best people are saying that, Pedro. Uh, <laughs> so we did Spanish rum. We've got more rum coming this year. Uh, we're also doing private selections of rum for people. So uh, we'll have to get you into Rum Society How exciting! Well, let me get to five. So far, I've done one. We'll get to three this year. All right. Uh, I gotta get to if five. We can do it. We can okay. do it. I got a bill. Good enough. I got a bill. And then I've got a mezcal coming. I've got two mezcals coming. Yeah, mezcal collective. Coming up next. Mezcals. So, so what we did was we took our one of our ex wild turkey barrels and we sent it to Oaxaca, to, to Fidencio, and we had them put their mezcal espadine uh, into cask, and we matured it for nine or 10 months. Um, Joshua then went down there uh, to see the, the disgorging of it, and- Like technically a mezcal reposado. Exactly, exactly. And then while Joshua was in the warehouse, he saw this dark liquid in a bottle and said, what's that? And they said, oh, that's a project we had been working on. It fell through. Um, that's been five years in, um, I don't know if I can say this on record, but in a Tennessee whiskey cask uh, that's not Jack Daniels. Um, that narrows it down. <laughs> and it was five years in wood. And then it had been, at that point, three years in demijohns, so in glass. Uh, in the time it's taken us to label it and bottle it and hopefully very soon import it, it it'll be a nine-year-old mezcal uh, with five years in wood and it is drop-dead gorgeous. So, so the, the wild turkey cask that we sent down for nine or ten month reposada, that will be online, singlecastnation.com. The project that we inherited, we purchased all 700 bottles, and that will be retail. So, so wow. keep your, oh, it'll be, in, it's, it's being imported to San Francisco. It'll be in LA, don't worry. People. Oh, very, like, don't worry. very exciting and creative expressions. Let's give it up for Mr. Rockstone Yellen. Single Cast Nation, cheers to all of you. Be sure to check out the podcast. What's the name of the podcast again? One Nation Under Whiskey. Okay. And again, the Jewish Whiskey Company online yep. if yep. you want to become a member. Yep. Yeah. And singlecastnation.com. You can do jewishwhiskeycompany.com, singlecastnation.com. Beautiful stuff. Yep. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember.